a podcast. Did your radio show get canceled? Fire, fire, fire. Low down and filthy, but the discipline is on point. Schooled myself, made my own dojo. A cold flow with the whole dose of soul. Maintain composure, even in fury and anomaly properties. This week on the Pete the Planner show, we got a, a young woman, by young I mean uh, lower 50s, who's uh, got an eye on retirement, wants to make sure she's doing the right things now to get the job done. She will have that three-legged stool of retirement, which if you don't know what that means then this would be a bad time for you to turn off the show because I'm going to explain it here in a second. She joins me now. Her name is Stella. Hello, Stella. Hey, Pete. How are you? Oh, I'm you know mildly nervous, but I think we'll be good. Well, you know what? Um, as my grandpa used to say, don't be nervous. All that can go wrong is everything. <laughs> he was not very supportive. Okay, so uh, three-legged oh. stool is a very classic thing where uh, you will have not only uh, the the money you've saved and, and uh, income off of those investments for retirement, you will also have Social Security, and you will also have a pension. How in the world are you able to pull this off? Do you uh, work in the public sector or the private sector? What do you do that gives you a pension, Stella? I work for the federal government. Oh, so that means you've got a beautiful pension. How long have you worked for the government? Uh, how long have you worked there? I have worked for the government about 25 years. All right, so what's the, what's the formula here? I guess I should know this. When are you allowed to actually, what age are you allowed to, to shut it down? Well, that's, a, that, that's what started this party, Pete. Um, I actually just had an estimate done for retirement last year, and... I am officially allowed to shut it down in approximately six and a half years because I will reach minimum retirement age and 30 years in. So, wow. I, yeah, so about 57 is when you can do that if you have 30 years in, or if you're, you know, older, you have a, you know, you don't have to have as many years in. But for me, I won't have minimum retirement age until um actually that's not true i go one year past I, it'll actually be 58 because my first uh three years i was um not what they considered uh a career appointment okay i was uh, like a temporary appointment so i had no benefits occurring so i mean let, let's start here do you think six and a half years from now or whenever 58 do you think you want to move to a different stage in your life, or have you made that decision yet? I have been thinking about that, and that's what's prompted this call. It, part of it is because, um, as you know, uh, things have changed a lot in our country, but let alone in, the, in government. My job alone, I've been with the agency for approximately 22 years now, that I'm with, and there's a lot that has changed within the agency itself. Um, You know, we always, um, when I was going uh, to college, we always heard about the baby boomers that were going to retire, and there would be this huge mass exodus from all corporate and business, and this would be something that management would have to look forward to and prepare for. And, you know, so I thought as a young woman, you know, getting a career, okay, this is going to be this big, momentous thing. So I've always been on the lookout for it. But 
the changes have been far more insidious, and it actually, um, I'm in a job that I actually love, was challenging. I literally do everything and anything, and I mean that quite literally. I'm the best value in government. But there's no, the respect for the federal workers aren't there anymore. There's such high turnover. It's not just the baby boomers. Um, Leadership, institutional knowledge is just not there. Um, People are not staying long enough to learn it. And being farther down uh, and outside of the major halls, it has a real impact on those in field locations, as they would call us. So it tends to, I guess you could say, color my optimistic view. Sure. It's not like how... I'm no longer having, I guess you could say, quite the passion for my job that I used to have. <laughs> I have glimpses of it. So anyways, um, <laughs> I've taught myself to knit. I'm getting a rocking chair. I'll yes. be ready for that, but not really. So I've been thinking about a change for sure, and I don't want to do nothing. But I'm wondering if it's time to pull the ripcord on a perhaps Twilight-type career. Yeah. Well, let's 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 look at the finances of it. So let, let here's what we're going to try to accomplish today. Uh, we'll let you okay. decide all that other stuff some other time. But what we're going to do is to try to remove the financial barrier from it. Does that seem fair? Absolutely. Okay. So right now you make a hundred and ten thousand dollars as your annual income. Ninety five and change is the government salary. Then you've got rental income of uh, just under fifteen thousand bucks. You live in a very expensive area of the country. Um, do you think that, can you feel that, or, or, or do you handle that pretty well? Well, I actually, I was living in a place in, in southern Florida that was more expensive, or equally expensive, and that was Miami. So it is almost equal. It's just they really get you up here with the taxes, but you can find... You can find housing um, and everything else, but you have to perhaps not want everything brand new and, you know, fancy. I have a very, I have a Midwestern father who has drilled it into me about looking for, you know, and and spending within your, uh, what, your range? (laughs) Sure, in your means. Within your means, thank you. So it is very expensive here. However, you know, if you look and do due diligence, my idea, although I was born and raised in this area of a Midwestern father and an upstate New York mother, I still, I consider it home. I know all the, the networks, et cetera, here, and I know it's where, as a federal employee, you have a career. But I haven't necessarily ruled out leaving it in retirement for a place that would not tax me so highly because I'm taxed right down to the city, you know, just, and it's high tax. Well, so, so help me understand, do you know what your pension will be um, at that age of 58? Do you know what that income would be to you? Well, actually at the, um, the estimate ran for me showed that the net annuity after reductions would be, Three thousand three hundred and forty-four a month. Because <laughs> your net monthly income right now, as 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 you know, uh, and as you provided to us, is three thousand three hundred and eighty-five dollars. Man, that's pretty close, isn't it? 
here's the irony, Pete. I've been trying to live my retirement now. Yes. Because I have not been a very thrifty person in the past, regardless of how my father was. I've been, as I've said before, quite the bon vivant in life. I have been quite in debt and quite uh, lively with my expenditure, shall we say. Yeah, so there seems like there's some remnants of that still around. You've got $9,000 in credit card debt, a $23,000 car loan at 0% interest. And then you've got your investment of property uh, that you're getting rent off of $84,500. What's that credit card debt hanging around from? Well, that was actually, believe it or not, when I jumped into the investment property, that was the tail end of repairs because I actually did not have anything over, I think it was about 2000 3000 in savings at that time. I still don't have much more than that, but I had to pull that trigger for repairs to get that home um, turnkey to get the tenant in. So are, are you, and that income you're getting, are you able to pay down that credit card debt with that income? Um, I, I actually, I am. Uh, because I went ahead and got a zero, it's a zero interest credit card, I deliberately took that out. I have not worked on paying that off immediately because I wanted to focus repayment of a TSP loan that I took out to actually make the down payment on the investment property. Okay. And so, and then also that, that $23,000 car debt, what's your payment on that on a monthly basis? Uh, that payment is about 440 a month. Okay. I think it's 437. Yeah. Do you typically get a new car like that or is this, uh, what's your, what's your car strategy? No, I've had that one. My car literally just died before last Christmas. Like literally last Christmas, and that uh, car was 16 years old. Okay. Um, so I was looking at the car that I would want to be in for the next 16 years, and uh, because I am a single female with no one in my purview that knows anything about cars, car repairs, buying used cars, I figured I'd better step in the water and get something brand new, even though I know as soon as I drive it off the lot, it's depreciated by thousands. Sure. Well, if it helps you, I'm, However, a, I'm a married male that knows nothing about cars, if that if that helps. <laughs> I mean, nothing. Well, that does help. Yeah. That does help. <laughs> um, but anyways, I, I did go into it wide, eyes wide open and said, this is not a frivolous expenditure. It's one that actually reduced my gas mileage by half per month because I pulled the hybrid ticket. And went with a hybrid, obviously. Um, so, you know, that's my gas, uh, my my gas mileage, and my commute is not an expense, a large expense for me. But I figured, in some weird way, it helped me justify <laughs> pulling the trigger also on a new car. This car actually cost the exact amount that my old car cost 16 years ago. So, if you can believe that, w- tell me what's the balance of your TSP? Uh, the balance is one eighty. Um, oh shoot, I've got the wrong window open here. Just a minute. No, that's all right. For those following uh, along at home, a TSP is like a four hundred one k, but it's for the government. So, a TSP thrift savings plan. It's one hundred and eighty something. You think? Yes, it's uh, about one eighty five, uh, and that's dropped about 
25,000 in the last month or two, Pete. It's horrible. Well, that's not surprising. I mean, it's just, it is what it is. There's nothing. The worst thing you can do is try to change that by selling something right now because then you would lock it in. Um, so if you work another, let's call it six and a half years and you're putting in, uh, looks like what, 1300 a month or so, um, into the TSP. Uh, I mean, yes. you're, you're going to have a pretty petty, a pretty, a pretty, pretty penny, uh, in there by the time you retire, you're going to have plenty of pension income and then you'll get a giant boost of income when you turn 62 if you choose to take social security there from the outset i gotta be honest this sort of looks like a, i don't want to call it a no-brainer because i don't believe in saying that but this looks pretty sweet for someone that pronounce uh, uh you know consider themselves a bon vivant who who just flew by the seat of their pants well i hear you saying that <laughs> but it doesn't feel like that because when you add in the fact that um I did cancel life insurance. I carried it up until about five years ago for my nieces and nephews out on the West Coast, just in case for some reason I felt that that was my thing to do. But, you know, I have a lot of advice from people that's conflicting about how I should be carrying life insurance to pay my funeral costs. And I'm thinking, well, if I get cremated, how big is that, really? And I should have the money. But then the second thing is, a lot of information is also flying at me that if I were to pull the trigger and leave federal service at the earliest I could in the next six and a half, say seven years, what happens if I come down with a major illness or medical situation and I don't carry the long-term care insurance? So I've been also trying to decide if that's an if that makes sense for me in my life to take on an additional payment for that. Yeah. Term. Well, I, I'll give you my two cents on that. I, I think if you're a single person with no intention of marrying your finances to someone else, that I, I don't think long-term care insurance is the best use of your income, because in the really long-term care insurance is to protect your assets for someone else's use, um, for your partner's use at home, and if there's no one at home to protect your assets for, then then they'll spend down and you'll go on Medicaid and, 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 you know, we can debate whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I generally would not recommend someone in your shoes spend the money on long-term care. And I would also say in terms of life insurance at this point in time, if you've adopted that same mentality in terms of if you're not going to marry your finances to someone, then your assets will be liquidated to pay for whatever debt that may be incurred via your cremation. So, I mean, look, it's different strokes for different folks. Everyone has an opinion. My particular opinion is you do not need life insurance and or long-term care insurance. I would simply focus on uh, creating enough emergency funds for you so that you've got as smooth a retirement as possible. And if you're retiring in your late 50s, I mean, you're talking about decades and decades worth of retirement. So that's why I would want that emergency fund as high as possible. So that, and that's really, it, I have felt recently, particularly, is it kind of unfocused. Even though I was feeling fairly comfortable of saving myself or trying to from these, what I, again, the bon vivant ways, is um, I don't have to provide for anyone else. I feel that what I have is I fairly on target to provide for me. 
I've, I've reduced expenditures. I cut the cord back in 2013. So I have no extraordinary, you know, cable bills, things like that. And I've gotten down to the bare bones of what does it take to just enjoy life sure. with the smaller things I like with, you know, one vacation a year that's just for me, that's not extravagant or exorbitant, but enjoyable and takes me somewhere I want to go. Um, but then again, you know, I, I don't have anyone that I really talk to about this, and I haven't felt uh, like it's, it's enough that it requires me to go in and talk about, you know, investment strategies at the high level, because I just, I'm not there and I don't feel I need to be there. But my, net, my, my other concern is, again, living in retirement is everybody, you know, growing up, my age was told you have to have your house paid off. Well, my primary house is underwater. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and that's kind of what... Go ahead. And, and so I know I could move, but again, I, do I want to take, you know, move to another state or somewhere else downsizing? Because... I'm, you can't get much smaller than where I'm at now as far as downsizing yeah. space-wise. And like you said, it's high, higher cost of things here, but I have done so as efficiently as possible. But it's still, I'm underwater probably to the tune of, um, I, I want to say still about $60,000, yeah, maybe see, seventy even. That's what's so interesting about your situation, because at first glance on paper, there's some things that bother me, you know, the, you know, the, the credit card debt, the being underwater. But the reality is you can retire when your income is able to replace your work income as long as your work income is supporting the lifestyle you want. Your house being underwater doesn't necessarily impact your daily life right now other than it makes it hard to move. And I, I, would, I, I would argue that sometimes we overcomplicate retirement. Like... I could tell you that there's some things I want to fix about your situation with the ones I just listed. But if your income is replaced, why make this more difficult than it needs to be? I feel like all, if I'm you, I would try to get out of that credit card debt over the next couple of years. I would try to make sure you get that car chipped away, uh, the debt chipped away. And then the payments that support those two items would be freed up and make retirement even easier for you. As long as you have a nice emergency fund, like, I know it may feel too good to be true, and I know there's some little bumps and blemishes on this, but it's pretty darn good the way I see it. Well, that when you said, so here's here's the thing, um, and like you said, it doesn't at first blush look terribly bad, but yet you look at a couple of these other hiccups and burps in my financial road here. My part of what, my feeling of unfocusedness in this also has been. I have little dribs and drabs everywhere. Okay, the house is underwater, but it's not just that. I have, you know, this 9000 in the credit card debt. Then I have this car I just bought. And then I have the uh, uh, TSP loan that I took out. So I have focused on paying back my energies and spare money, if you will, to my TSP loan because I know without the compounding interest in there, that's where I'm going to get my biggest benefit, I feel, versus paying off a zero-interest $9,000 credit card debt that I can have paid off 
literally within the next year. Um, however, it, it, it's, you know, is that really my biggest bang? I feel it is. But then maybe that credit card debt should just go. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I like the way you're thinking about it. And, and the reality is, if you set, I don't want to say if you set your mind to it, I don't want this to turn into an after school special. Um, but, but you've got six years to clean up these little yeah. blemishes. And if you do that, you're good to go. And if you don't, well, at that point, Stella, it's pretty obvious you shouldn't shut it down if you can't use the next six years to clean up those things. But I don't know. I mean, it's one of those, I'm 40, I'm going to be 41 this month, but it's one of those things where it's like, the older we get, the quicker time goes. Six years isn't that long to have to grind in order to set yourself up permanently. And I, I think it's just such a great opportunity. It's true. That's true. And it's good to hear that because that's actually a thing that I felt that I really have not had much reassurance that, okay, you're on the right track or maybe you should tweak it this way. And that was what I was hoping to hear from you. Um, the investment property I bought to try to balance out my underwater home because for basically that low investment of my thrift savings loan, which at the time I would rather have shot myself to do it, but no, I felt that I would have immediate equity in that place. So now I have about sixty or $70,000 in equity in that investment property with less than two years. See, that's great. I mean, and that just gives you additional flexibility, whether you use it as income or you use it as a piece of capital at retirement. And I mean, more than anything, that's what this is about. It's about flexibility. So um, I guess, I mean, we can go round and round in circles on this stuff, but here, here's where I land on all of this. Uh, you've got six years. You've got six years to be honest with yourself, be honest with the blemishes, which we've just established. And then you either shut it down, you've earned the right to shut it down, or you have not. So um, I I think based on what you've told me, I feel pretty good about it. But the truth will be told six years from now, right? <laughs> this is true. Well, you know, I have one other question. Sure, go ahead. The investment property, I owe 83000 on it. Do you still think I'm better served in throwing all my money into my retirement, every excess amount that I can? Or should I also be equally fighting to try to pay off the investment property so that I have something that is residential-wise? Because I have floated around the idea that I could in potentially move into that home at some point and possibly rent out my under underwater place, yeah, or maybe sell it once if it comes at actually even even Steven back up in the future. But I'm a little conflicted on that. Do you have any well, thoughts it, about that? I, are, is the rent that you're getting on that property is it covering the the debt payments? Absolutely, it's more than covering. It's it's covering it the real estate insurance and putting money in my pocket. Yeah, see, I'm of the opinion that you should use market instruments, stock market instruments to grow your wealth as opposed to paying off relatively inexpensive debt. Um, I think there's more flexibility in that because if you build an asset on the other side and at some point in time you choose to take that asset and pay off this debt, you can do that. So 
But again, that's a different strokes for different folks thing. I, I come from an investment background, so I tend to think that makes sense. Whereas others who come from a real estate investment perspective may feel differently. But I, I, I don't see any flaws in the way that you're doing that specifically, other than getting rid of that nine thousand dollars in credit card debt. Okay. Well, and that's and and that is interesting to hear because I just started for giggles to throw money into a stash account because I didn't have, you know, I didn't feel I had, you know, thousands of dollars to dump into, you know, an investment in the stocks right now. Sure. Just the way I would again, I feel very I had felt very fragmented in my mind financially where I was focusing. But I started throwing, you know, a little bit in, and I end up now where I've I've got, you know, about a thousand in there, just throwing in stash. But I'm looking at again, do I take that too? Should I continue that and and put it into something a little bit larger, or just continue to run that at the side? And I guess part of me was thinking, because I only have forty five hundred in savings. Maybe I would do better with no earnings and savings, but kind of running the stocks as my um, way to grow my money quicker to get some sort of a, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? My, um, well, build my savings quicker for for an immediate uh, type of pot of funds of something I would need, say, within a six-month time frame. Sure. Yeah. I definitely wouldn't want you to use the stock market to try to grow emergency funds. I mean, your emergency funds should just be in boring savings accounts and you shouldn't really take much risk with that. And, you know, so you're going to need your own savings account for, for your life, but then you would also need a little extra savings because you are a property owner. So then when something breaks on it, you don't go into debt to deal with that. So don't get too carried away with using the market to do that. What I was simply speaking of based on your age is using your TSP um, as opposed to individual stocks that you would invest on the side. Okay. And should I dump more of it in the Roth TSP or the regular traditional TSP? Yeah, you could use the Roth just to diversify your tax base a little bit. there, There would be absolutely nothing wrong with that. Okay. Does that, um, outside of the TSP or the TSP Roth? You could do either. It, you, you really could. It, I don't, uh, it just depends on fees and your investment options and what you're comfortable with and what your, your knowledge base takes you to. But I don't think you can go wrong okay. either way. So okay. excellent. Well, we, we would love an update as things continue on. Uh, we hope this was helpful for you. And good job on, I don't want to say salvaging a financial life. That seems a little dramatic, but this is going to look all right for you. <laughs> No, it was dramatic, Pete, years ago. So, but thank you for saying that. You're, I, I feel like woohoo. We're, we're good. We'll now pay off that debt, and within the next six years, we'll be good to go. Got it. All Very right, good. that's it for this week's Pete the Planner show. If you want to be on the show, go to petetheplanner.com/slash/podcast. You can recover a financial life. It feels like it went off the rails. You can recover it. Well, it helps if you have a pension, but you certainly can recover it. That's all we have time for. I'm Pete the Planner, and this is my show. This is for information purposes only. Not the specific financial planning device. Consult a financial divisor. All right, you follow the podcast. How do I know this? Because you're listening right now. You might have even read one of our blogs or one of our books. There's a whole other side of this Pete the Planner empire that you know nothing about. 
until today. It's called your money line. It is the complete financial solution for employers. There's this whole world and it's called financial wellness. Sounds like nothing, but it's something. It's a benefit that comes to you via your employer. It helps you manage your financial life to get answers to your financial questions. Well, your money line, the company of which I'm the chief executive officer, one of the leading companies in this world that deals with financial wellness. If you are an HR person or a, in the position of leadership within your organization, go to yourmoneyline.com and schedule a demo today. If you are a wholesome, wonderful employee, reach out to your HR person and send them to yourmoneyline.com. It's time to get Pete in your workplace. Salutations, how you doing? And is that how y'all say it?